0: if you are between the ages of four and the second grade now is a great time for you to be excused and go to kids club still got little ones running how you walk Says a great deal about your identity. How you walk says a great deal about your identity. For example, I'm a mosier. I walk slow. I've always walked slow. I like to take it in, it's part of my personality. When my wife says, Hey, let's go on a walk, this is my preferred pace. <laughs> this is not my wife's preferred pace. She walks much faster than I do. She always has. But it's interesting that how you walk says a great deal about your identity. My, my brother-in-law is a cowboy. He'll like that I reference him. He's got a little bit more of one of these. You know, he spends some time on a horse. I suspect spending time on a horse will give you one of these. I've got a niece who's a cheerleader. She does a little bit more like this. She's got a little bounce. I suspect that who she is dictates a lot of how she walks. It's interesting, if you look at all these people, nobody's trying to act it out. They're living out who they are. And as we get to the fourth chapter in the book of Ephesians, we're turning away from the indicative towards the imperative, what the Bible says and declares is true about you into the imperative. How then do you live? How do you react? And it's so crucially important as we get to this moment that we not get here and decide that the Bible is going to start walloping us with all sorts of things to do. Here's the checklist. Here's the I got to. Here's everything I must do in order to be accepted. This is what pleases God. But rather for us to understand, when we get to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, That it says everything about who we are in the first three chapters. When you get to the fourth chapter, all it says is is when you live out your identity, declared to you in the first three, this is what it should look like. So there's not this great call, this great push, this to-do list. It's walk out your identity. We've walked through three chapters We've called our series Rooted in the Gospel, because we believe that if you root yourself deeply in the Gospel, that Jesus will naturally flesh out in your lives. And as we've walked through, we talked about being rooted in Christ, being rooted in hope, value, and power. As we entered into the second chapter of Ephesians, we talked about these two great taproots of understanding that your sin separates you from God, and understanding that His grace covers that gap immensely. That when we understand our sinfulness, when we approach other people and we see their sin, we don't stand in judgment. Because we see it understanding ourselves as sinners and Jesus as the answer. His grace covers that gap. We're rooted into the body. We weren't called to live this life alone. We were given a a body to walk in, to walk amongst, and we we worked through that, how if you were a Gentile in the first century, you would look at the church and feel excluded, but God didn't want to exclude anybody. He, He brought everyone into his body, made us all the same, and then he rooted us in purpose. We talked in chapter three, verses eight, when Paul says, I'm the very least of all the saints. And grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That what that sentence declares for us is the gospel well-rooted and lived out. That in that sentence, as you unpack it, it's the gospel well-rooted and lived out. It's a deep understanding of gospel truth and pursuit of people. And then we finished chapter 3 last week being rooted and loved and the understanding that you are deeply loved by Jesus And I gave you the Brennan Manning quote. My deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. And that's a rooted statement from Brennan Manning to say that the base of his identity is an understanding that Jesus Christ loves him. And he's done nothing to deserve it or earn it. He wasn't good enough. He doesn't have the right checklist. It's Jesus. Jesus loves us so thoroughly and so immensely. So when we turn into chapter 4, and Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, that therefore is a pregnant statement. Therefore, is sitting is on the foundation of the first three chapters. It's going to ride on everything else. And so that for you to carry out any of these imperatives is not going to be willful action on your behalf to work harder. It's going to be you walking out of a greater understanding of the first three chapters. So if you come to verse chapter 4 and you say, This isn't me then I want to call you back to the first three and read them over and over and over again until it starts to root in you. Because it starts pretty simply that you were included in Jesus Christ when you heard the gospel of truth, the word of your salvation, and you believed, Ephesians 1.13. That if you take that moment and you believe in Jesus, that you believe that his blood has power and can overcome your sin. You move from darkness into light. You start a relationship with Jesus and you start rooting into him. I can't emphasize that enough because if we get to chapter four and we make it a to-do list, we miss the point of the book. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to what you've been called. We run into the second imperative in this book, the second charge. The first one's in chapter two, this is the second. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to what you've been called. So let's consider this word walk first. Paul's, Paul's urging for you is to walk. Is that a difficult verb? No. He doesn't say, I urge you to like do a crazy obstacle course. I urge you to run a marathon. I urge you to do things that make you incredibly uncomfortable. No, he actually, at this point, asks you, having rooted your identity in Jesus, to walk it out, to live, to be, to be who the scriptures have defined you to be in Jesus, so that you would walk. It's important for us to realize that walking is a passive term. You literally can't sit there and be walking. It requires you to stand up and go with motion. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What Paul says in in this very full sentence is, understand this great calling that you've received. Read chapters 1 through 3. And he em- emphasizes this calling to which you've been called so that you have a, a basic understanding that all Paul is asking you to do is to be well-rooted in the gospel and to live it out. So, so it's not this huge to-do list. It's when you walk into a situation and you realize you're rooted in the gospel that you walk in and somebody's rude to you or doesn't respond the way you want them to. Walking out the gospel in that moment looks like Understanding your sinful nature and the reality that you fall short and offering them the same grace that Jesus Christ has for you. That's what walking out the gospel looks like. It looks like when you come home and your your spouse had a list of things they were supposed to do and it it didn't get fully done and, and rather than getting frustrated or angry about it, you realize that you are a fallen person. You've also not carried out everything you're supposed to do. So rather than snapping at your spouse, you look at them with the same grace that Jesus Christ has for you and offers you freely and you show it to them. See, that's Walking out the gospel. Paul gets to this point. He says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He brings you to this crucial point where he wants to challenge you to this idea of do you live out what you say you believe? Have you harmonized your conduct with your calling? Are you walking out what you believe? Because the challenge here specifically is to realize that who you are in Jesus Christ is complete, and then to engage the world in who you are as Jesus. It's not a huge list. It's not a to-do list. It's not do this, don't do that. Those certainly show up in the Bible, but not here. He's calling you to walk out your identity. He's gonna clarify some pointers about this walk. Now, we've talked about this. We're walking through Ephesians in 13 short weeks. There are many, 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 many sermons that could be preached out of most weeks. We could pull five this week. So we've got like 20 minutes to pull five sermons. Paul's urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling it'd be easy for us to wonder what that looks like it'd be easy for us to say well what exactly does that that look like and paul's really helpful because he gives it to us in fact paul will give us two descriptions of what it looks like and then two explanations and he gives them to us in different orders so starting in verse 2 he gives you five virtues That if if you want to know what the Christian life looks like walked out, you want to look at what it looks like practically to live out your identity in Jesus, to understand the the nature that you are, your sin separates you from God and that Jesus overcomes that gap with his death and resurrection, this is what it looks like for you practically to live that out, starting in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, as you're wondering what it looks like to walk this out, Paul gives you five virtues. And immediately you're going to have to realize that these five virtues inherently require you to be in community. I've very rarely ever shown humility by myself. Oh, would I like a cup of coffee? Yes, I'll get myself a cup before I offer it to me. It doesn't work that way. Oh, I'll be gentle with me today. You know, today would be an awesome time for me to show me patience. I should bear with me today. You know, I just need to put up with myself. You know, the more I say it, the more it sounds like I do have to do that. But you see the necessity here that these are all virtues that aren't just you working out your life, they're you living in community. The very thing Paul has thrown out to us over and over again, that if you're rooted in the body, you've gotta be in the church. And if you're rooted in the body in the church, then this is how you gotta live it out. You gotta live close enough to people where you can practice humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, peacekeeping. So let's look at humility. Humility is literally considering considering others better than yourself. So, So when you walk into a situation and you're wondering, how should I interact with this person walking out the gospel, the answer biblically and literally is to consider them better than me, to put their needs before mine, to honor them in that way. Gentleness Is a willingness to not assert myself or my rights. It's not to work and walk into a situation and say, I deserve this or I want this. It's to walk into a situation and to think, what do you need? What would make this go better for you? How how do I love you in this situation? Do you start to see Jesus lived out as you look at these virtues? Do you start to see Jesus getting fleshed out? This isn't telling you, by the way, to start being humble and start being gentle and start working this out. It's telling you that's who you are in Jesus. That as you spend time in God's word and you root yourself in the gospel and you dig into God's truth and you you pour through it and you pray through your day, you're saying, Lord, help me to walk this out because this is who I am in your son. And then when I walk into a situation and I wonder if I can show this, It's realizing, Jesus, I just need you to flesh yourself out in me right now. I need you to be here. I need to to lean into you. I need to walk you out. For me to be gentle and to put somebody else's needs, to put them before me. Patience. Patience is a great quality. Because truly to show patience, you kind of have to be around somebody who requires you to have it. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a child who doesn't want to sleep at night or, or somebody who has a habit or a tick that just rubs you the wrong way over and over and over again. Wherever that situation or that context shows up in our lives, to realize that walking out the gospel is for us not to get irritated at this little tick that this other human is showing and to realize in that moment that Man, I fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus there's lots of grace to me and I want to love this person in it and I'm going to choose to bite my tongue. I'm going to choose to be patient. I'm going to choose to put their needs first. Bear with one another in love. It's this fourth quality. It's interesting, I... I was trying to figure out how to describe that really well. So I did a word study on bear this week. And it was fascinating because if you really wanna put these words together literally, it kinda says putting up with one another. You go, well that actually makes more sense in English. We gotta put up with one another. Now, a fascinating thing about this whole text is this, church, this text says everything about what it looks like to walk out your faith, but this is an extraordinarily ecclesiological text. It tells us how the church ought to operate. We ought to bear with one another. We got to put up with one another. See, oftentimes we have this theory, this belief, this anticipation that people ought to operate the way I want them to. People ought to do things the way I think they should do it rather than the way they think they should. And it's going to require me to put up with some people, to put up with some of their junk, to put up with with some of their stuff. And, And as you walk into the church, this becomes crucially and vitally important. Because as we're surrounded by a group of people who are intentionally diverse, we talked about that last week, God fills his body with people who normally shouldn't look like they fit together, but the gospel puts them together because of Jesus. That we're going to have aspects about us that are going to drive each other nuts. That if you look around this room and you go, that guy really annoys me, welcome to the church. That if you think I should go to a church where people won't annoy me, you're actually going to miss part of the purpose of the church in your life. We'll get to that. See, we're here together so that we can flesh out Jesus. It's going to require us to put up with one another And the final thing he says is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager is such a good word that if we're gonna wonder what it looks like for us to flesh out the gospel, for the gospel to root in us as we walk it out, we're gonna have to be eager to keep the peace. And that's a tough one. We have to be eager to keep the peace. That means I gotta be eager to keep my mouth shut. I gotta be eager to listen. I gotta be eager to not become angry. I gotta be eager to love you and to put you before me. And that's what the gospel here, walked out, starts to look like. Paul defines our walk not by a list of rules, but in terms of how we relate to one another, how we engage one another, how we walk together. It's gotta be lived out in a community. It's gotta be. A community where we'll regularly die to ourselves, where we'll serve one another, we'll put another's needs before mine, we'll put up with one another, and we'll always seek peace. And you start to realize this as we've worked through this book, that God is desiring to do something in the church amongst his people that the world will never understand and the world cannot refute. Because as we fill this room with people who are very different, who it doesn't make sense that we get along, it's obvious that Jesus is doing something. My senior year in college, in all truth, my second senior year in college, I had two. It's a good plan, unless you're paying for it. I had four roommates. I was an athlete. I had a roommate named Steve Wilson. Uh, Steve lives in Nashville, still a recording artist. Um, Steve's about this tall and loves, it's the strangest thing to me, loves to wear really tight furry shirts. (laughs) Like, I, I don't. I still never got that about Steve. He had a whole part of his closet that was his stage clothes that he would wear to do concerts and stuff because he plays in a rock band. And, and we'd look at each other and like, Steve, we don't really get along outside of Jesus. And I had another roommate named Sage. Sage is an interesting guy. He was actually shorter than Steve. Um, Sage was in the grunge scene. Now, Sage had a really interesting life. He had, had a weird disease. He had all these surgeries. But, but Sage had this weird habit because being probably five foot two and probably weighing 110, 120 pounds, Sage loved to borrow my clothes. <laughs> I'll never understand it because he would take my khaki pants, which probably were about the same size. And he would roll the waist down and put a belt on it. And he'd roll the legs up. And he'd wear them for a day. And then he'd wash them and put them back in my closet. And then I would find later that I had these pants where they'd been worn out here. From his pants dragging on the ground as he walked. And like, why do I have holes all over my calves? And Sage and I were just really, really different. And I lived with a guy named Adam. Adam was an African-American guy, great guy, love Adam. He had a, a goat, he had hair that just did this, looked like a clown and a goatee that just stuck straight out. But we sat up one night and we talked. It's like, guys, this is hilarious. We're four really different people who walk in different social circles and outside of Jesus, we literally have nothing in common. We shouldn't like each other. We shouldn't even hang out. But somehow in Jesus, he had taken us and he'd melded us together and created a a friendship and a bond and a little community. And guys, that's exactly what God desires to do in the church is to take people who don't look like they fit together. That's why he put Gentiles and Jews in the same room people who don't look like they should naturally want to hang out or have great affinity towards one another. People who are going to look like they're going to have to literally be patient with one another and bear with one another. Because God wants to do something with his church when he puts us together so the world will not understand what happens in this room because they see all the weird people walking out. And that's us. It's the church but Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop with this call to humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and unity. Th- those are all part of the walk, but it's it's part of it. He now defines the unity in verse 4. There's one body, one spirit, you're called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And that could be a sermon. But the reality of that is the unity that we have in Jesus. It's why people who look really different on the outside can love each other really well. Because we have so much in common in Jesus. But a walk well rooted in the gospel It is not just sacrifice for the community. A walk well-rooted with the gospel does something else, too. And you find in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That as God was building his church, he looked at us as a group and said, I want to apportion out gifts. Why? Why? Because it's not just about us being patient with one another. It's not just about us dealing with one another. He actually wants us to pour back into one another. He wants us to carry one another. He wants us to encourage and exhort one another. And so he starts to explain it. You've been given grace. Grace for salvation, but also grace for ministry according to the measure of his gift which means it's going to be different for all of us. All of us are going to be gifted in really different, unique ways. There are probably some of you who could stand here and do this. And there are some of you who are terrified by the idea of standing here and doing this. There are some of you who could come early and open the doors and let people in the way so many different people do here. There are people who make the coffee for us in the morning. There are people who vacuum There are so many gifts in the church of service and generosity. We're all very different. In verse 8, therefore it says, by the way, quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions the earth he who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things i'll pause for a couple of minutes and give you a brief explanation here Paul is actually quoting Psalm 68. He's, he's walking these Jewish people back through a, a metaphor of a victorious king who would ascend into victory, take spoils away, and be able to, to come back down the hill from victory and, and give those gifts back away. So it's a metaphor that the Jewish people in the first century would have really given they would have understood it would have meant something to them in the 21st century. We just kind of go ascended, descended. What's going on? What, I don't understand. The point is that Paul is using Psalm 68 as a, a reference to the reality that God gives gifts to people, He gives gifts. And, and certainly Romans 12 and, and 1 Corinthians 12 are better places for us to look at and to consider spiritual gifts given to believers. But the uniqueness of this text, that this passage is actually more in tune with the idea that God gifts believers to gift them to the church. It's not just that you have gifts, It's that your gifts have been given to the church. That's the uniqueness of this text. That in addition to walking out the gospel and being well-rooted that we'd interact with each other, it's also this realization, this understanding that God gave you gifts that he wants to use in his body for the betterment of all of us. And he says that in verse 11 not an exhaustive list. He says, I gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He, he, he puts people in God's body, and then he gives you their purpose. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That as God is wanting you to work out, walk out your salvation, he's wanting you to walk out this well-rooted faith, it's an understanding that we should be patient and gentle with one another. We should put another person's needs first and we should serve one another because we've been given as a gift to the church. We can get really hung up on titles and the point here isn't the exhaustive list, it's the reality that we've been given to the body. So whether it's service or teaching or exhortation or mercy or generosity or any of the other things from the list, they were given to us so that we'd equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the building up of the body. And ultimately, we have to understand that's the purpose of the church, that as a church, as a building, Calvary exists for this purpose. It's actually not to tickle your ears, to make you giggle or entertain you. We've started to believe all these random lies about the church. The church exists to be funny and entertaining, to attract people, or to approve or disapprove of our sins. The church exists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to train you to do ministry. That's why we exist. That's why we walk through series like this one because we're wanting to help you understand your identity in Jesus so that you'll walk it out. Because if the paradigm was Ben do ministry, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But when the paradigm is Calvary Church goes into its community of Moorhead and Fargo and Dilworth and West Fargo and wherever you're from, and when Calvary Church shows up at its workplace Monday morning or Monday night or Wednesday or whenever you go to work or goes to class or wherever you go to school, whatever that looks like, it's for you to go living out the gospel. That that's the work of the ministry of this church. We exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body and for a Purpose until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until we're all perfectly unified in Jesus, until we perfectly understand who God's Son is, until we're perfectly mature, and we've reached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 13, we're unified, we know God's Son, we're mature, and we've attained the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus. And that's a pretty exhaustive, big list. The point of it is, we've got a lot of work to do to grow us up in Jesus. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes so that the purpose of all of this is that we would be well-rooted, we would be strong like a large tree that cannot be blown over. If you want to follow this literally, it tells you that you'll be carried away by every wind of doctrine. That means to say to you that the challenge that we'll walk in and are walking into currently is that people will start to redefine doctrine. And what will the church do about it? Are you prepared to understand the difference between biblical doctrine and cultural doctrine? What the Bible says is true and what people will want you to think is true. Because it tells you that human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes would seek to adjust doctrine. Doctrine. Rather than speaking in the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I told you there were five sermons there, we worked quickly. But the reality of this text is that if you're going to walk out the gospel, if you're going to be well rooted in the gospel, that that's got to impact. Who you are in Jesus has got to impact the people you walk around. It's got to impact it because you walking out Jesus before them and in the church is going to bring out gentleness and humility. It's going to bring out patience. It's going to bring out this willingness to deal with one another. And this desire to keep peace. And it's gonna bring about this desire in you to realize that you have been given to the church as a gift. That your gifts, your abilities, your talents got placed here purposefully. And the end of the text in 16, it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now let's look at this next phrase. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that binds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, then as a church, you wanna know what it's gonna take for Calvary to grow? The Bible kinda tells it. It kinda puts it there for us. That if we desire to grow, it's gonna grow when the parts start working together properly. And working together properly means that we all work out our identity in Jesus. So that we're loving one another with this gospel intentionality. That we understand that our gifts have been given to us to bless the church. And so that we're seeking to use our gifts in the body to bless and edify and encourage the body. Ultimately, that's the challenge here. That as Paul has written this book and he's given you three chapters of who you are in Jesus he comes to the fourth one and challenges you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. That you would take it and that you would walk out that calling. That you'd understand who you are in Jesus. There's not like a little huge list here. It's not to do. It's understand what Jesus did for you and own it and then walk out and engage people and love people out of the reality of who Jesus is and what he did at the cross and what the resurrection means in your life. We said early on that if you've been loved much, if you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. And the reality of this is for us to understand that what God did for us was significant. That what God did for us in sending his son was significant. And that salvation is incredible. And the power that we're given in Jesus is phenomenal. So let's walk it out. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. Father, that as we wonder what it looks like to walk out the gospel in our lives, it looks like what it means to root the gospel in our lives. Father, you've declared it, you've defined it, you've put it before us. Father, that as we seek to be people who are defined by your gospel, Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk it out. You'd help us to realize who we are in Jesus the sufficiency of the cross. And Father, that we would love one another really well and that we'd use our gifts really well for your glory. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus. I pray that you would make us a church of people who walk out your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.